How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me is Leonard, and this is a show about wrestling, and we are continuing our 100th episode special by going over some of our favorite matches by decade. Uh, we previously did everything before the 1980s, then we did the 1980s themselves, and this time we are doing the 1990s, uh, when probably Leonard and I had some of the peaks of our fandom and probably some of the dips of our fandom. But uh, we are going to go over some of our favorite matches. This decade, Leonard, probably won't be as interesting, Mayo, in terms of picks. Um, we're probably, we're definitely going to throw some surprises at you. But a lot of the matches we talk about, I'm sure, are matches that people uh, are well aware of. But we will share our stories as to why we enjoy them. So without further ado, let's get on with our honorable mentions. And Leonard will kick us off. Sure, just several I think, you know, we should probably mention in passing that we're not going to talk about. Uh, two from WrestleMania 10, the Shawn Michaels or Razor Ramon ladder match and uh, Brett versus Owen Hart. And we've talked about both of those in the past on different shows. Uh, Hulk Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior from WrestleMania 6. Uh, Dangerous Alliance versus Sting Squadron War Games from WrestleWar 92. Uh, two gems from early Raw, Ric Flair versus Kurt Hennig, Loser Leaves Town match from January 25th of 93, and Shawn Michaels versus Marty Jannetty from May 17th of 93. Uh, the very, I believe, the very first Hell in a Cell ever, uh, Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker from Bad Blood 97, and then uh, the 30 minute Iron Man match from Beach Blast 92 between Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat. Absolutely. Uh, all those are good matches. Uh, you know, I mean, we could talk for a long time just about those. Uh, the WrestleMania 10 matches i was not watching wrestling at that point so i'd be lying to you if i said i watched that live and realized right away what classics those two matches were um but i certainly discovered them eventually and you know both of those matches are great i definitely rate the brett owen match above the latter match if i had to compare them but uh, they're both great matches ultimate warrior and hulk hogan my goodness that was one of the moments in my wrestling fandom where a lot more people in my grade enjoyed wrestling and wanted to talk about it the only other time that happened is when stone cold got to be really hot um so everybody had an opinion who was going to win that match you know me being a hulkamaniac i was steadfast <laughs> but uh but yeah the first hell in the cell match also really great some of the people out there are probably already wondering like my goodness why are you you know why aren't those on your lists but i guess you'll find out why right so yeah. my honorable mentions I have more of the Japanese side of things here, but uh, I have Mitsuharu Misawa and Toshiaka Kawada versus Dr. Dusty Williams and Terry Gordy, otherwise known as what, Leonard? The Miracle Violence Connection. Which I just learned was their name last week. Um, that match is from the All Japan Tag Team Tournament, December 6, 1991. Um Second match I have here, Mitsuharu Misawa versus Kenta Kobashi from All Japan Pro Wrestling New Year's Giant Series, January 20th, 1997. Um, these guys had so many classics together, you'll hear another match of theirs when we go over the next decade, for sure. Uh, Mitsuharu Misawa versus Toshiaka Kawada from the All Japan Pro Wrestling Superpower Series, uh, June 3rd, 1994. Uh, from the women's side of things, we have Manami Toyota, versus Kyoko Inoue, the WWWA World Championship from July 
1995. This match is well over an hour long. And, you know, Toyota had so many five-star matches. If you haven't heard of her, I highly recommend going to check her out. Um, I also have Shawn Michaels versus Mankind from WWF Mind Games. That is September 22nd, 1996. And finally... The Hart Foundation versus Steve Austin, Gold Dust, Ken Shamrock, and Legion of Doom from WWF Canadian Stampede 1997. That last one, in terms of big five-on-five tag matches, a lot of times they can be, you know, just they can be entertaining, but clusters are that's to me is one of the best in terms of just straight up five-on-five tag. Uh, so those are my honorable mentions. Any comments, Leonard? Well, I, I'm not familiar with any of the Japanese ones. We've talked before. I just have not got very deep into the Japanese matches. I didn't have time to check any of those out. Now, the two WWF matches, of course, I am familiar with. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't call it the Canadian Stampede match a good match, but I think it is very fun and very memorable and very chaotic. And that whole pay-per-view, I think, is just such of a different vibe. Crowd add to it, with, right? Uh, yeah, which is fun. And then Michaels versus Mankind, again, is another really, you know, classic match, too. I mean, that's one I think could have easily been on either one of our lists, too. You know, there are the, if you, there's a handful of guys, if you say Undertaker, Mankind, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Austin, from about 95 to aught. Yeah. I mean, you could just, any combination of what those guys were doing very easily. And I think before we even list our, favorite matches i would say probably the mvp of this decade would have to be bret hart right bret hart definitely because he was having very great matches at the beginning of the decade and at least toward when he went over to wcw yeah he had a he had a couple really good matches couple decent ones over there yeah yeah and i would say probably michaels would be two and maybe austin would be three yeah taker four i mean definitely those those five guys that I just named would probably be the MVPs of the, of the decade to a good good many people. Well, I agree. So, Leonard, why don't we get uh, our list moving along with uh, your top picks? Sure, sure. Well, going in, in chronological order again, and oddly enough, I realize I have two from the same year, and I'm going to kick it off with Royal Rumble 1992. So I think probably uh, very, you know, the Rumbles are very unique, odd matches. We've talked about the 92 Rumble before. And that's the Rumble that most people say is the best of all time and is just a good match, even given that type of format. That's the match where I think the Royal Rumble went from being kind of a novelty to being this highlight of the WWF calendar year and a pay-per-view and match style that everybody was looking forward to that had a bunch of surprises that could have a continuing storyline that could have many storylines uh, with weaved within it. So this is the match that where Ric Flair came in at number three because supposedly Vince McMahon didn't think it was believable that someone could win from the one or two slot, but the three slot was fine. So uh, Ric Flair came in at the three slot won the match and won the WWF title, which was vacant at the time. This uh, featured a lot of Hall of Famers, a lot of name value guys. I would have to look at the complete list of who got in to say who I think was the you know the lowest card person that maybe was in there. Uh, this features uh, the 
Sid Justice turn where he throws Hogan out of the ring, and then Hogan holds on to Sid so Flair can eliminate him. And that was probably the very first time in the WWF where Hogan got booed. You know, we talked in the past where how fans, for whatever reason, have always been just crazy gaga over Sid. And I think that was a, a, an idea that backfired on them. And, of course, the commentary on here is always talked about as well. Grell Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. And not only is the commentary very funny throughout, but it's also, I think, very, very poignant as they talk about, you know, what works and what doesn't work. It's just a pertinent instead of poignant. And, and, and just, you know, how Heenan, you know, wigs out over every near flare elimination and, and everything going on here. So this is just just beautifully booked from start to finish this style of unique and different match great story told overall great commentary and the post-match promo from flair is also amazing and memorable with a tear in my eye um one of my favorite probably my favorite wwf promo from flair no yeah i agree i mean the 92 rumble is probably the best you know and it's it's hard to beat simply because of the stakes that were involved this was for the wwf title so it meant a lot more. And on top of that, the star power that was in this match is just crazy. Like there's so many names in this and, you know, it wouldn't be until the attitude era that you would start to see it like rumbles where like just all the big names were in it because there's always somebody injured or somebody in a main event match um, as the pay-per-view grew, the event grew. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I have my Bobby and uh, Gorilla Monsoon shirt on today. Uh, specifically because of this decade in the match that Leonard mentioned. The, the, the commentary is just so good and adds to the match in such a great way. Um, and, of course, it goes without saying that Ric Flair's performance was, you know, just amazing. He was, you know, in a lot of the matches that he does one-on-one, he's the glue that holds it together. But, I mean, in this case, he was the glue that held it together with 29 other guys. Um, so that made a difference, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, great match. Um my first match, if we're going in chronological order, and I also have two from the same year, but uh, the first match, I have Macho King Randy Savage versus The Ultimate Warrior from WrestleMania 7. It's a career-ending match, March 24th, 1991, excuse me, at the Los Angeles Memorial Arena in L.A. So I've talked about this match in the past. Um, this is my favorite match of all time, and the reason I say that is because I think it encapsulates everything that you would want in a wrestling match. And in our stupid question series, I believe I answered uh, with this match is like a match I would show to aliens if they had never heard, seen or heard of wrestling because you have everything in this match. Now, are there better technical matches? Of course there are. Um, but in this case, I think the match was way above four stars and the events that happened after the match added to it in a way that is really hard to rate in my opinion um you know these guys go for over 20 minutes and of course the story behind the story is that elizabeth who hadn't been with randy savage in many years is at ringside watching the event not necessarily at ringside she's actually in the aisle way watching and um of course afterwards when savage loses sherry gets in the ring and starts to pound on randy and then Elizabeth goes in and saves the day and they reunite and it's a really moving moment. And you can see that by the reaction of the crowd. 
Um, you know, I just, I remember watching it. I didn't watch it live, but I got the VHS tape shortly after uh, whoever burned it, you know, illegally in our neighborhood, <laughs> you know, and uh, I just remember being really moved by it because you, you wanted to see that reunion uh, because even as a, a bad guy, everybody loved Randy Savage and loved him with her. Uh, so on top of that, this match is also the first match that I really recognized finishers being used more than once. Now, obviously, today that happens all the time, but here it really meant something. The fact that Savage delivered like five elbows that still didn't put the warrior away was just kind of like made your head explode. Um, and it's just it was really a different style of match. And Savage brought out the best in Warrior who didn't always have great matches. So I love this one. Uh, Leonard, any comment? Yeah, I mean, we had talked about this in the, in the past a couple different times. Um, I think the the stupid questions, one that you mentioned, and also when we talked about our favorite WrestleMania matches or favorite WrestleManias or something like that. Uh, and, yeah, this tells a great story. And we talked last week, too, about in relation to WrestleMania 3, how Randy Savage is a meticulous match planner. And I think that probably came into play here because this is by far, without question, the best ultimate warrior match and i would guess it probably has a lot to do with savage figuring out what warrior couldn't couldn't do and what he couldn't couldn't do to make that work and planning it out very specifically uh savage had agreed to lose and to retire of course he was back before the end of the year um but uh, that was why it was like well you know since he's retiring might as well give the warrior that rub, not that he needed it, of kicking out of, of all the different elbow smashes. And, uh, yeah, you know, it just tells a really good story. As you said, not technically sound, but I think there's some nice technical elements here. And one thing I like is that it is a payoff of really kind of a, of a storyline, a character arc that goes back six years, you know, early, yeah. mid, mid-85, when Savage and Elizabeth first came into the WWF, the way he treated her and the way she reacted. And then, you know, the, the attention that George Steele gave her and then, you know, the Hogan situation and all that. And the most, you know, meaningful thing was when Savage opened the ropes for her. Right. Because she always opened that for him. And the only other storyline I could think of that has that type of longevity was Bobby Heenan versus Hulk Hogan. Was was was, right. was Heenan always trying to beat Hogan or always downgrading Hogan? And as a side note, Heenan won because when Hogan turned heel uh, and joined the NWO, and people said that, that Heenan ruined the uh, surprise. No, he didn't. That's what Bobby Heenan does. Right. Uh, just never trust Hogan, and he was right. right. So that's that's a side note there. But no, this is this is a really fantastic match. I think because of you, I appreciate it a lot more than I did at one point. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So, Leonard, what's your second pick? So staying in 1992, we're going to do Bret the Hitman Hart versus Davey Boy Smith for the Intercontinental title from SummerSlam 92 at Wembley Stadium in England. Uh, you know, this was a very unique pay-per-view uh, at the time. I, I remember... Just being, I didn't watching it live, of course, catching it later on. But one, the fact they were having a major pay per view outside of, of the country. You know, they did WrestleMania six in Canada. I don't know if I count Canada 
it's another country, yes, but it's connected. The fact that they went overseas for this and the fact that it was in Wembley Stadium and the fact that the final match wasn't the world title match. And I should say that Randy Savage and Ultimate Warrior have a rematch on this show, and that match is very good as well. If you right. have it, that's a very good match. That's probably Warrior's second best match. Um, but this is a match, too, that I think is very, very important as a turning point for both those guys. It's sort of where both of them were former tag guys, were working as singles, were kind of in the mid-card, and this elevated them both to a more main event status. You know, Smith comes out of this with the Intercontinental title, um, and Hart would win the world title not too long after this off, off of Ric Flair. But this is really the match where both these guys kind of took a step up to becoming main event stars, becoming really the next generation, to being recognized as singles competitors and and good wrestlers. You know, the match itself, I think, is very technically sound. I will put a lot of that more on Brett than Davey Boy. If you both watch different matches of theirs, you can pretty much guess that. But this is Hart. One thing that Hart did, and we talked about Tom McGee at one point, is that Bret Hart knew how to make a star. He knew how to take anybody and make them look good. And that isn't to the mean Davy Boy, who is a fine wrestler in his own right, particularly as a power wrestler. But this was very much Bret Hart wanting to do a solid for his brother-in-law and putting him over. And this is also maybe one of the first times I remember what we might call a real or shoot type of situation where it was admitted, oh, yeah, Davey Boy Smith is married to Bret Hart's sister. Diana Hart was part of this and talking about the Hart family history and everyone who was involved. And again, I don't think there was a real life beef between Bret and Davey Boy, but just the idea of, oh, this is that's that's real. They're real brother-in-laws. That's not because even as a kid, I knew, oh, these guys are brothers. They're usually not, you know. You know, Al Flair was a cousin to the Andersons. Well, not even the Andersons were brothers to the Andersons, you know. Like, I kind of knew all that. But the fact that this was, yeah, they're, that's his real sister. And he, she's, he's married to the real sister. That might be one of the first kind of what you might call a quote-unquote shoot type of angle, at least that I remember. I mean, I know there's ones before. But just as, as a kid, having that realism to it. And... I think Davy Boy winning was a surprise, but it was it was a good surprise, and and I think it really speaks to if we call Brett the MVP of the decade. One reason is one, he had no problems making stars, and two, he had no problems taking the loss when he knew that it was for the greater good of the company for the person he was against. You know, we mentioned him against Owen at WrestleMania ten as well. Yeah, you know, um, thinking about Bret Hart in his post career, um, you know, has become more of like a bitter angry human being um but when i revisit his matches since he's been out of wrestling the one thing that i notice each and every time is just how great of a storyteller he was in the ring like he could tell a story in a match better than just about anybody i've seen and i mean anybody and uh, this match is another example of that um it's a great match it's a hot crowd I mean, the recent event that they had in the in the UK is an example that they need to keep going back there uh, because, you know, those people love wrestling. Um, and a funny story I heard about this, I forget, I might have read it in Brett's book or a different book, um, but apparently the British Bulldog, I'm pretty sure it was this match, had, for you know, been up the night before with Jim Neidhart smoking meth 
or crack <laughs> and like probably crack back then but who knows back and he got to the you know um the venue that day and you know i won't do an impression quite of british bulldog but he told brett he's like you know i was doing this last night and i you know i forgot the fucking match you know <laughs> so apparently brett had to like walk him through this entire thing which i just think is funny um it just makes it interesting to go back and watch it for that reason it makes you appreciate it all the all the more because it is such a terrific match uh do you, do you, side note complete side note do you know who doc ellis is no doc ellis is a former baseball pitcher for the pittsburgh pirates in the mid to late 1970s and he pitched a perfect game while tripping on lsd <laughs> That's an amazing accomplishment. Yes, yes. He was in San Diego. They had a road trip, and he got so foobarred that he thought that he took more, thinking it was the same day, but it was the next day where he had the pitch. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So so one one question after it was all known, they kind of asked him, like, like how did, you know, he do that? He was, and he said, if anyone got on first base, they were going to be eaten by snakes. <laughs> so he couldn't let anybody get on first base. I need to look up more about that guy. Look, look, look up about Doc Ellis's perfect, but just the fact that Davy Boy has this amazing match after smoking crack all night made me think of Doc Ellis who pitched a perfect game while tripping on. It was either acid or LSD, but he was tripping at the time of the ball game. Right, that's what I mean. It was either crack or meth. I forget. Yeah. <laughs> either way. Um, my uh, second match is from March 23rd, 1997, WrestleMania 13. And it is Brett Hitman Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin with Ken Shamrock as the special guest referee. It goes a bit about, about 22 minutes and five seconds. It's a submission match. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this match became legendary for many reasons. Uh, the, you know, the image of Austin in the sharpshooter with the blood pouring down, you know, you just can't replicate that. Um, these guys had a match at the preceding Survivor Series that was also, in my opinion, a five-star match. Um, this match is just terrific. Like I said, the story that's told, um, and I give Bret Hart all the credit here. Uh, it's just amazing. You know, you have the the double turn in this match, which is talked about more and more as years go along. Um, it was just expertly done. Um, it, you know, I feel like this is the type of match you'd want to study just to see exactly how to do certain things and how to pull off certain things. Um, and this catapulted Steve Austin um, just further into stardom. Um, he was already headed there, obviously, uh, but this certainly helped. And Bret Hart was a huge help in him getting there. Um, Ken Shamrock's involvement, I thought was good. And, you know, the post-match, you know, showdown between he and Bret was also fun. Um, but yeah, just the, uh, the way the blood is used here is just great. Uh, and I never get tired of watching this one. So Leonard, yeah, we out the air, we kind of debated which one of us was going to get Brett versus Davey Boy and which one of us was going to get Brett versus Steve. <laughs> and everything you said, you know, the double turn is what I really remember it for. I think that's difficult to do. And this match does it absolutely perfectly and beautifully. And kind of what makes me a little bit sad is the fact that there's a very small window between Steve Austin kind of go, coming into his own as a character, as Stone Cold, 
and the, his, him getting his neck broken by Owen Hart because he's a completely different worker after the neck injury. Right. You know, I, I love stunning Steve. Right. W. And the fact that you blend that type of that wrestler, the grappler, the technical wrestler of Steve Austin with the Stone Cold character, putting him there in someone that can go in that way, like Bret Hart. You know, th this this to me shows maybe maybe the attitude error, maybe Stone Cold wouldn't have happened the way it would have happened if he hadn't got the neck broke. That's what if to go down. But this is one of those in that small window that that shows, you know, who he was and what he could be um, dur during that period. And again, every, again, the iconic images, the blood, the fact that he passes out, the fact that this was, again, another example, I think, of Brett helping to make a guy. Um, definitely it's the idea of Brett won but lost and and Steve lost but won, you know, Absolutely. at the end of it, I think. And that's extremely difficult to, to pull off. But, um, yeah, j j just, uh, again, not only a technically sound match, but, again, everything we're talking about, it's all about story. It all seems to be a match that tells a great story. It seems to be everything that we're picking here tonight. All right. Leonard, your final match. My final match is, let me get this. So, The Undertaker versus Mankind, Hell in a Cell from King of the Ring, 1998. And this is an interesting match because I think at the, after it happened, I think people were like, oh, did you see that? It's crazy. And then it kind of got blended in with all the other, um, you know, at, Attitude Era kind of stuff. Uh, and then I think there was a period there where people thought it was overrated. And, and, and I heard people say things like, oh, well, you know, Foley kind of guided himself down using the cage on, on, on the fall. And, oh, well, you know, th that roof panel was even supposed to break. That wasn't supposed to happen. Like, people seem to be down on it for a while. Right. And now it's to the point now where people are like, I think after Foley's retired, Undertaker's retired, they've taken a long look at their careers. They go, wow, that was an, an amazing match. I think that's come back around to being considered a, a legendary match and really a deep part of both of those guys' legacies. So, again, this was um, – I can't remember which – it was an early Hell in the Cell. I don't, I don't think it was the second one, maybe third, something like that, in the ballpark. But this was, of course, very much well-known for the spot where Undertaker throws Mick Foley off the top of the cage and he goes through the announce table. Then later he powerbombs Foley on top of the cage and the roof collapses, which I believe was not supposed to happen. I believe it was a choke slam. A choke slam. Thank you. I was thinking it was the last ride, but it might have been a choke slam. Oh man! And Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying Either. to imagine. Like Foley, I, th I truly believe. I think Foley would be dead if he had been given. Yes. <laughs> yes. But it, and anyway, and there's always that. There's again, we talk about iconic images, and there's that image of Foley. It looks like he's smiling, but it's because I think he's got like a tooth coming through a hole. In his, in in his, his lip, yep. In his lip uh, because of that. And correct me if I'm wrong, did Thumbtacks get involved in this one? They did. Thumbtacks yeah. were involved. I was I was thinking about that. I actually didn't have time to review all these matches to rewatch all of them again. But, of course, something like this is burned in your brain. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, thumb t I, probably the first time Thumbtacks were involved in a WWF match, at least. And, uh, you know, j just a lot of crazy spots. And I think it's... And, you know, ECW was doing this kind of stuff. I think this mainstreamed what we called a, a hardcore wrestling to a great degree. 
and kind of set the bar for these types of weapons heavy or hardcore heavy matches for future uh, Hell in a Cell type matches. And this took place in Pittsburgh, and I was actually there. I was not there in the arena, I should say. I was in Pittsburgh. I was a couple miles away when this happened. You heard the landing. I heard the landing. I was like, what is that? That was a a jet going overhead. (laughs) And and, and and this is one of those things after the fact, like 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 two like two things like everybody uh, partied with Dan Marino when he was at Pitt, and everybody was in the building for this match that pe- people in Pittsburgh will claim to be. So that kind of tells you the legendariness of of this of, of this bout. Yeah, you know, if Leonard hadn't picked this, I would have picked it specifically because of the impact this match has had um, in general and on me um this is still to this day an amazing match not because of its technical wrestling or because of its structure but because of just how memorable it is along the same lines as they it's like a hogan andre wrestlemania 3 type situation um if anybody to, like it, I don't do this much anymore, but like if anybody would make fun of wrestling to me, or tell me like the you know the obvious that you know ah oh, why do you watch that fake stuff this that and the other, if I had the opportunity, I would sit them down and I would show them this match, and I did that with my wife before she was my wife, and mm-hmm. you know she also said she said something along those lines, and I was like let's watch this. And it wasn't long before she asked me to turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because this match is just shocking. It's yeah. today is shocking. I don't get tired of hearing about it, whether it be on documentary or a podcast. It's just amazing to hear about this match and to see it. Um, the various spots, the fact that the uh, when he went through the roof, uh, the chair came down and hit him in the mouth. Um, you know, and that's I think what cause of the tooth situation to happen out of the lip um you know terry funk buying him some time <laughs> you know terry funk being in like mom jeans you know in in that match and uh you know taking a couple shots um you know and fully you know comically tells the story he gets back and he was like you know did we get the thumbtack spot in you know because he just hadn't remained doesn't remember what what just happened and it's like yeah we got the thumbtacks in um, it, it's just, it's a brutal match. And I believe this is the second one. Uh, okay. And because, you know, he tells the story of sitting down with Terry Funk and they watch the Shawn Michaels undertaker match. And how do we top it? Well, we start out on top of the cage. So, um, it, it's just, it's a great match. And, uh, I highly recommend going to watch it or rewatch it. There is some WF video game. And I don't remember which one. But it was one that involved kind of mixing and matching old matches and there and with new gimmicks. And I believe it was the Andre the Giant versus Big John Stud match from the first WrestleMania. But it was a hell in a cell that took place on top of the cell. Nice. <laughs> I don't remember what video game that was. I remember playing it with my brother-in-law that he had got it. And it had something to do with taking old matches and giving them like new gimmicks and you had to do certain things to clear the match. I like that. I want to investigate. Um, My last match is from WCW Halloween Havoc, 1997, October 26th to be exact. 
Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero, title versus mask, 13 minutes, 51 seconds. This match has always been, you know, in my head when talking about favorite matches. Um, it's, it's certainly on my list. And it was reminded of me during some of the recent A&E biography with Rey Mysterio and the Rivals show with Mysterio and Guerrero. This match was heavily talked about in both of those. And uh, there's a reason for that. I just, I'm, I forget what box set was released that I first saw this. Um, but when I, but it certainly wasn't because I watched the entire event. I have since then, but I watched this match on its own. And my goodness, this is the epitome of what cruiserweight slash luchador slash Mexican style wrestling can offer you. These guys had chemistry that you just, you can't create you really can't you either have chemistry like this or you don't um and it's just a barn burner of a match in under 14 minutes and one of the things that's interesting to me is that this is certainly in the nwo era uh the main event of this card was uh piper and hogan in the cage age in the cage as it's been yeah. dubbed and so that was what the commentators were certainly talking about a lot when this match started but quickly they shift into holy shit like, this is unbelievable what we're watching. Um, and by the end, you know, the commentary is just, you know, off the charts um, from Shivani and Heenan. And I forget who the third is. Uh, Might have been Dusty. But uh, anyway, uh, this is easily the best match that these two guys had. They would go on to have many more spectacular matches. Um, but this one stands on its own and... Uh, it just is another match that the reason it's here is because it just never gets old to me. So, Leonard? Yeah, I mean, we talked about uh, Eddie versus Ray when we did our best WrestleMania openers. And, again, these guys have had several different matches over the years. This is clearly the best. Most people would agree this is the best. And that, I think, had a lot to do. We talked about star-making seems to be, I don't know, star-making, but working with the other. Because I, I have heard that uh, WCW wanted Ray to lose and to lose his mask. This is the one where the mask was on the line, right? Yeah, and, they wanted him to lose it. You're right. And he said no. And eventually he would lose it. And I don't know why WCW did that. You know, the mask is marketable. Like, how many Ray Mysterio masks has the WWF sold over the years? Bischoff and, has been taken to task both in documentaries and on yeah. his podcast about this at this point. And he's stated his position, but... I agree with you. For yeah, you know Ray, who the other ones, but but anyway, uh, yeah, th th this this was I think Eddie wanting to work with Ray and making Ray look really good, and and I think if you want to pick a match from WCW outside of that, you know, up to about nine three nine four when Hogan comes in, um, you have to look at the cruiserweights. This was the style again more common today than it was then. That was really coming to their own, but it was usually. An opener match is a filler. as a lot of WCW Saturday night. Um, I think this, in a lot of ways, was the first kind of cruiserweight match where you had two personalities and a story and, and some weight to it that, as you said, woke up the announcers as well as the crowd. So I think that really helped to make um, cruiserweight wrestling not only very viable in WCW, but very viable down the years you know if it wasn't for Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero and a few other guys around this time period you know would we have the type of cruiserweight wrestling that we have today and got after no they proved this can can get over but again it was a combination of wanting to work together 
character, storyline, everything, and a technically sound match with great fast pacing. Absolutely. Well, those are our picks. We could have gone on with, sure. many, with many more picks. This was hard to do this decade. It really, really was. And I, I, I'm anxious to see what the next decade will hold. Um, you know, I don't, I'm going to have to tell Leonard he can only limit it to three John Cena matches. So, because that's just, you know, we can't. Um, but you but can, all the honorable mentions can be John Cena matches. I, I, it goes without saying. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, let us know what you think we should have picked or what you would have picked. If there's any matches that uh, might not be on lists that you hold in high esteem, please let us know. Uh, check out our other videos, stupid questions, random match reviews. Uh, check out our show on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. Uh, leave us comments, like our content. All the love helps us grow. And for Leonard, my name is Chad, and we will see you next time. Alexa, we'll see you out.